Good morning, everyone. Uh, Luke chapter 2, as uh, Nick has already read our passage, hope that you'll uh, join me there as we consider the story of Simeon in kicking off our Advent series. Now, just one quick announcement. Uh, There was a lot of discussion generated this week in small groups regarding uh, our baptism last Sunday, the encouragement of hearing those testimonies, as it always is encouraging. Uh, There will be another baptism coming up in the new year. One of the discussions that uh, was sparked in, uh, in a few different small groups was the question of having to give a public testimony and how difficult that is for some people. So we just wanted to say that if that is a challenge for you or someone that you know uh, who needs to be, would like to be baptized, but is a little bit overwhelmed by the thought of public speaking, uh, we believe scripture definitely calls us to publicly testify with our mouth, uh, whether that means you have to do a 10-minute public testimony. Uh, We can discuss that. So if you know someone or you yourself would like to talk to one of the elders or one of the staff about that, please come and see us. Uh, today was supposed to be Chris Koenig speaking. I know, what a disappointment. He, uh, he uh, I think, will be with us twice next year. I think he was with us already earlier this year. So he was going to kick off our Advent series, and he got COVID. And so he, uh, he's doing fine, uh, but he is in quarantine until tonight. So maybe we should have just postponed church till tonight, and then we could have had a good sermon. But I'll do the best I can. Uh, so Luke chapter 2. And this is our first Sunday of Advent. Now, Advent for me is a new thing. I know that I think last year you folks did Advent. I think maybe Doug Loveday helped to uh, steer you guys along that road. And I'm quite excited about this. And I think Simeon is actually the perfect Bible character to introduce Advent to us. The word Advent means coming or arrival. And it's meant to help us put ourselves in the place of Old Testament saints like Simeon who were waiting for the coming of the Messiah. And of course, we should be be living in the same place because we are waiting for the second coming of the Messiah. I believe that Sundays, as we gather together as a church, should be like a realigning, a recalibrating of our hearts. And this idea of, of living with anticipation and expectation of the Lord's coming is extremely healthy. That's the way that followers of Jesus should live. So we're going to see Simeon as an example of what Advent is all about. Um, I want us to think in terms of our theme for today. So every, every Sunday of Advent, we assign a theme. There is a, a theme assigned to it. Today's theme is the theme of hope. And here's what I want us to consider today. Uh, There are two sides, two sides to hope. We're going to see this. There is a lovely side of hope, and there is an ugly side of hope. I want us to see this in the passage. So we're actually going to back up actually to verse 21. I think Nick started reading in verse 22. We're going to read verse 21 as well of Luke chapter 2, which says this. On the eighth day... When it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. Well, right away, uh, I see the lovely side of hope. Because as followers of Jesus, our hope is completely tied up with him. Exactly what uh, Simeon understood through the revelation of the Holy Spirit, 
that the consolation of Israel, the hope of Israel was bound up in a person in Jesus Christ, in the coming Messiah. Now we, looking back in history, know this even more clearly uh, than Simeon did. But don't we love this? We love the name Jesus. So here on the eighth day after his birth, he's, uh, he's um, circumcised and he's given this name Jesus. How many songs have been written about the name of Jesus and simply the beauty of that name or the power of that name? Do you know what the name Jesus means? The name Jesus is actually the name Joshua, but it's the New Testament or the Greek version of that Hebrew, that ancient Hebrew name, Joshua. Did you know that Joshua actually had a name change? A lot of us might not have noticed this in the Old Testament stories about Moses and Joshua, but Joshua's original name, his, the name his parents gave to him was the name Hoshea, Pretty good name. Anyone, anyone use that name yet? Uh, Hoshia. It's a great name, actually, because it means salvation. What's interesting is that once Joshua was chosen to be the apprentice of, of Moses, the, you know, the leader of Israel, he was being groomed to take over from Moses, to be the new leader of Israel. God changed his name from Hoshia, which means salvation or savior, to Joshua, which means, do you know what it means? It means Yahweh is Savior, or Yahweh saves. You see the difference? The problem that Moses had is the people of Israel looked to him. They couldn't see past Moses to God. And Moses literally got in the way of the people of Israel seeing that God was meant to be their king. God was meant to be their savior. God had brought them out of Egypt. They couldn't see past Moses, and so when things weren't going well, what did they do? They complained to Moses. <clears throat> so God changed the name of Hoshea to Joshua as a way of reminding his people, Moses ain't going to save you, and Hoshea isn't going to save you. Only God can save you. And then we come to the New Testament, and there is a new Joshua the one that God promised all through the Old Testament, the one that he said, a prophet is coming who's going to be like the prophet Moses. He's going to be greater. The, the promised Messiah, the chosen one. And in Matthew 1, the angel comes to Mary and explains to her how by God's miraculous presence, she is going to become pregnant. And she's going to give birth to a son. And she will call his name Jesus. Now listen to what the angel says. You will, this is Matthew 1.21, you'll call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Do you know what that means, ladies and gentlemen? That is one of the clearest places in all of the Bible where scripture says that Jesus is divine. Because in the same breath when the angel says, call him Yahweh saves, the angel says, he will save. Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus is the God of the Old Testament. He's not just the coming prophet. He's not just the promised king. He literally is the God of Israel come in the flesh. So we see the lovely side of hope. Our hope as Christians bound up in Jesus Christ and we love that name. We love what it means and we love who Jesus is. And so did Simeon. 
That's the second lovely thing I see in the story about Simeon is the man himself. Verse 25, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon. It says he was righteous and devout. What's crazy to me is how few Simeons there were. In this chapter, we're going to read about Simeon. If you read on, you'll read another about a woman named Anna who seemed to be waiting expectantly for the coming Messiah. But the problem is these people are strange. You almost read that between the lines that Simeon is, is this crazy old man who's waiting for the coming of the Messiah. And you get the sense that most of the people of Israel were not looking for an and They weren't living in Advent. They weren't expecting the arrival of the Son of God, but Simeon was. I find it amazing in the Christmas story, actually. Um, in Matthew chapter 2, we read about the wise men. The wise men have had this star revealed to them, and somehow God has shown the wise men that the meaning of the star is the birth of a king in Israel. And somehow they understand that a king in Israel, this king was divine. And so these pagan wise men from some other nation to the east travel this far distance and they come to Jerusalem, the capital city, expecting to find a baby king. And they don't find him. And so they go to Herod, who is the known king of Israel. And they ask him, we've seen the star in the east. It's a star that proclaims the birth of the king of Israel. Where is he? Herod doesn't know anything about him, so he calls the scribes. Is there anything in the Old Testament that tells us where the king of Israel would be born? Yeah, they say, actually. It's right there. I think it's is it the book of Micah. That tells us that he would be born in the town of Bethlehem. Do you ever wonder how is it that Mary could have shown up in the town of Bethlehem, the place that's prophesied to be the place where the Messiah would be born, and she is nine months pregnant, and she is beginning to go into labor, and she ends up in the manger, in the stable. How could that be? Do you know why it happened? Because the people of Israel weren't like Simeon. The people of Israel weren't sitting on the edge of their seat waiting for the coming of Messiah. Uh, they were living in this period some theologians call those 400 years of darkness or silence we sang about in one of our songs today. Where God hadn't sent a prophet and, and, and the prophets weren't writing scriptures and, and God wasn't showing up in miraculous ways. And the people had been lulled into a spiritual doldrum where they weren't looking to the Lord and they weren't seeking the Lord. Simeon was the strange one. He, 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 he was what everybody should have been, but he was one of the few. He was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. Notice now the Holy Spirit, it says in verse 25, was on him. The Holy Spirit was on him, and the Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And then in verse 27, again, we, we sense the Holy Spirit moving him, says, moved by the Spirit. He goes into the temple court. So not only had the Spirit confirmed to Simeon, you won't die until you see the Messiah. And then on the very day when Mary and Joseph bring the baby to the temple, the Spirit nudges him again. Today's the day, Simeon. Today's the day. You better go today. And Simeon goes in, and somehow, I'm sure there were other parents with infants there, but somehow Simeon knows, no, that's, that's him, that's him. The Spirit confirms it in his own mind. Do you see the beauty of all this? 
A man whose heart is attuned to the things of God, who longs for the things of God, for the redemption of God to be unfolding in his time. He wants to see Jesus. This is beautiful. This is the lovely side of hope. Notice what it says about him. I mentioned this already. He's waiting for the consolation of Israel. It's kind of a funny term, but it simply means what it says. To console, we think of that word when, when we know of someone who's had a great loss or a death in the family or uh, uh, some, some tragedy. We, we go to those people to console them. And, and, and Simeon is waiting for the consolation of Israel. Why? Because Israel was living under the bondage of the Roman Empire. They hadn't seen God. That God hadn't shown up. And instead, they were occupied. In some ways, it was like they'd gone back to Egypt or Egypt had come to them in the form of Rome. And now they were under Roman bondage and rule as they had once been in Egypt. The lovely side of hope is this. Simeon knows consolation is coming. God is going to speak into our dilemma. He's going to say something about this. He's going to do something about this. This is the lovely side of hope. So verse 27, Simeon is moved by the Spirit. He goes into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God. Uh, Moms, do you, you ever had an old guy, a really old guy, like got the cane and he's a little shaky and he wants to hold your baby? You'd be like, uh, maybe later. Mary lets Simeon take this child. I mean, I don't think there was any saying no to Simeon. He wanted to hold. Imagine the privilege he had to hold the Son of God in his arms, the one who holds all of our lives and all, all of the universe in his hands. <clears throat> why doesn't the moon crash down to earth because God's holding it? Why, why doesn't the galaxy collapse in upon itself because Jesus holds it? In every molecule of our body, why don't the electrons crash down into the... I'm, I'm no scientist. I, why doesn't that happen? It's because Jesus, Scripture says, upholds all things by the word of his power, and yet Simeon got to hold this one in his arms. This is the lovely side of hope. And then as he holds the child, child he praises God, it says in verse 28, and then in kind of poetic form. Some people even call this the Song of Simeon. That's why it's, it's written uh, in our Bibles, kind of like poetry. And he pronounces this blessing. He says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you've prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. What a beautiful poem, a beautiful song Think of the various components of this. First of all, that God in his sovereignty keeps his promises. That the redemption plan and story that he had promised from the very beginning of time, from when he told Eve that, uh, that her seed, her son, would crush the serpent's head. That was the very first promise of coming redemption. And all through history, God has been keeping his promises and ever marching, marching towards the day when God himself would come into the world and become the redeemer for sinful humanity. 
So he pronounces this blessing and he praises God for his sovereignty. sovereignty. He praises God that God keeps his promises. This is why we can be people of hope because the promises God makes are sure they will come to be. And then he says, you've dismissed your servant in peace here at the end of his life, Simeon assuming that he'll soon pass from the earth having now seen the salvation in Jesus that he would pass in peace. And then he describes this child as salvation. Don't you love that? We've just talked about how his very name, Jesus, means salvation or Yahweh saves. So wrapped up in this tiny, tiny bundle, this one-month-old child, he calls that bundle salvation. I have seen your salvation. And then notice how he describes it. He says, this salvation you've prepared in the sight of all nations. Uh, this, this is astounding to me. Simeon, as a faithful Jewish man who was able to see beyond the borders of Israel and recognize that the redemption of God and the hope that we have in God goes beyond just me or just my people. He says, the salvation of God has been prepared in the sight of all nations. Notice what he says. <clears throat> it is a light for revelation to the Gentiles. This is the hope of God. That God's plan of redemption isn't just for the Jewish people. It's not just for the good people. It's for all people. People just like us. He says it's a light for revelation to the Gentiles. And the glory of your people Israel. This is the lovely side of hope. In the Bible, hope is never, I hope so. It's never that. It's never wishful thinking. I've been thinking uh, this time of year, I've been thinking about how's the, how's the kid, and you get, you, you know, I'm not the only one. I won't, I won't take a show of hands, but how many of us had the Sears Christmas wish book? Right, Peg? You and I did, at least. No one else did. And we'd sit there and we'd look at this, and I hope, and I wish, and you circle this one, and someone else was telling me about this this week. We used to do this. That's not what the hope of the Bible is. That's not what the hope of redemption is. It's not I hope so or I wish or maybe. It's based on the promise of a sovereign God who's in control of all things, who has a plan of redemption <clears throat> that is unfolding and will unfold. And our hope is based on this same Jesus who based on his sinless life went to the cross, gave himself as a sinless sacrifice so that if we would repent and believe in him, we can be saved, we can become the children of God. We can have absolute assurance that we are with him, in him, and forever will be with him. This is our living hope. And it's the beautiful, the lovely side of hope, and it's embodied in Simeon. But I wonder if we've ever considered that in order for there to be a lovely side of hope, there has to be. There will always be an ugly side. Have you ever considered that? I mean, the whole idea of hope is future and good. There's something better that's coming. And so this whole idea of hope, which is something better is coming in the future, presupposes that what's before it was at least not as good. 
And in our experience as human beings in this broken world, we should be able to recognize what Simeon surely did, is that we need consolation. We don't need a hope band-aid. We need a savior. Do you see the language that's in this passage? The whole thing presupposes that this this Messiah, this child who's been born, hasn't come to give us a pep talk, to tell us a few jokes, to make us smile. He's come to rescue us from a world that's completely lost and broken. He's come to redeem us from ourselves and from our sinfulness. Do you see the ugly side? Hope always presupposes something better that's coming because what's here and now or what's been in the past was far less then. And I would suggest to you that the ugly side of hope is all through this passage. So simply go back and look at verse 21 with me again. This verse that tells us about the eighth day after Jesus was born and he's given this beautiful name, Jesus. What a beautiful man you are. Thank you, Wayne. I was thinking my voice was starting to sound really cool, like <laughs> it's getting that raspy, you know, Southern Baptist preacher up here. <clears throat> you, you ruined the whole thing, Wayne. All right, verse 21. Yeah, we see the lovely side of this baby, this beautiful child being named Jesus. But what else does it say? It's talking about the eighth day. And if you're an eight-year-old baby boy in Jerusalem, a Jewish boy, not a good day because the eighth day is the day when you will be circumcised. Now, folks, this is about my least favorite topic to preach about. If you're here and you don't know what circumcision is, then uh, you can come and ask me later or I recommend you go home and ask your parents and more specifically your mother. (laughs) Circumcision. This symbol, a symbolic act that God gave way back, way back to Abraham, that his people would be identified in this physical way, that the men of Israel, the boys and the men, would be circumcised. And God even gives some explanation as to what it means. Obviously, it's, it was meant to be metaphorical, and he says it's, it's a picture of how I am rolling away, I'm cutting away your reproach. God, who eventually is going to bring his people out of slavery, out of the shame and destitution of slavery. And circumcision would be the sign and the symbol of how God and his redemption is going to roll away, cut away the reproach, the sin, the ugliness. And so every Jewish boy had to be circumcised in order to follow through with this idea of identifying with God's people and keeping up this picture of what God does for his people. Fine. But why Jesus? There was no reproach in this little boy. There was no sin that needed to be cut away or rolled away from this child because he would grow up, according to Scripture, to be sinless, pure and holy, the only way he could become our redeemer was that he would live a sinful, sin, sinless life. Scripture says of him that in him there 
was no sin. He knew no sin. And yet, circumcised. And the little baby boy was cut, and he bled, and no doubt he screamed, just like every other little boy in Israel. Why him? This is the ugly side of hope. That in order for us to have hope of salvation, there had to be one who would identify so closely with us that yeah, even here on the eighth day, there would be blood. We read on and we come to verse 22 and we find the whole reason that Mary and Joseph bring the child to the temple. Verse 21 happens on the eighth day. Verse 22 happens about 40 days after the child is born. And what's this one about? Well, there's a couple of things here. It's the idea of presenting the child to the Lord, firstborn son, would have to be presented to the Lord as though, kind of like Samuel had been, that that he is the Lord's and a sacrifice would be offered. But also, there was this sacrifice that the mother would have to offer, sacrifice regarding her uncleanness. Now, this is a strange thing. And again, this this is ceremonial law from the Old Testament in which God said that 40 days after a a woman gave birth to a son, she would come and and give an offering uh, that would cover the uncleanness of her childbirth. And the idea here is, as often would be the case, that a woman after giving birth would have bleeding for a time. And maybe this goes back to the curse that God pronounced after Adam and Eve sinned, and he said to this, he said to the serpent, to the devil, uh, you're going to crawl in your belly. And then he said to Adam, you're going to, you're going to have to have sweat and toil, and you're going to have to work the ground. And, but then he said to Eve, you're going to have childbirth. And the pain of childbirth was going to be one of the things that she would experience as a human being in this now fallen and cursed world, childbirth. Such a beautiful, incredible aspect of being human, and yet from the woman's perspective, the pain of it reminds us that this is a cursed world, that we bring children into a world of pain. And so maybe this is one of the reasons why there was this ceremonial uh, idea of uncleanness, that her having given birth to a sinful child, now she would come and make a sacrifice. So there was blood on the eighth day, and now there's blood on the 40th day as a sacrifice is made. This is the ugly side of hope. Luke goes on to tell us about the sacrifice in verse 24. He says it was a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now if you've got to study Bible and you can go back and look up that verse from the Old Testament, what you'll find is that actually wasn't the proper offering. You were supposed to bring a lamb. The doves or the pigeons was a concession for people who couldn't afford to bring the lamb. And here's the ugly side of our hope. Did you realize that the King of kings and Lord of lords, the Prince of heaven, the one who came to be our Savior, was born into a family of poverty? It's the ugly side of hope. And later, Paul would say of him, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. It's the ugly side of hope. 
We've talked about this need for consolation. Simeon waiting for the consolation of Israel and we've already briefly mentioned the the bondage that Israel found themselves in under the Roman Empire, the Roman occupation of the land. So Simeon, like so many others, would have to walk past the tax collecting booth where one of his fellow Israelites would be tax collecting, a sellout, working for the Roman Empire. And likely there were Roman soldiers stationed there to ensure that the people of Israel paid their dues to the emperor. There was a need for consolation because there was bondage. How true is that for all of us? As we come to Christ for salvation, as we wrestle with the sin of our own lives, as we deal with pain that's, that's created by a sinful world all around us, by wrong choices that people make, we need consolation. This is the ugly side of hope. And we find Simeon as he begins to pronounce his blessing in verse 29. We can't escape the ugliness even here. He says, as you've promised, Lord, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. You know what that means? You know what Simeon is saying there? I'm, I'm going to die. I don't know how old Simeon was. Interesting that they chose Tim Harrington to uh, play Simeon this morning. I didn't think Tim was that old. But I picture Simeon as this old guy who'd had this promise from God, you're not going to die until you see the Messiah. How long did Simeon live waiting? I don't know. But you get the impression that he's an old guy. And now that he's seen Jesus, there's here this, here's this ugly reality that now he faces. Now he's actually seen what he's been waiting for. He doesn't get to see the rest of the story. He doesn't get to see Jesus in, in all of his glory and all of his miracles. He doesn't get to see Jesus providing redemption. And his expectation now is, whoa, my time's up. It's the ugly side of hope. It's one of the reasons that we cling to hope as followers of Jesus in our broken world is because death is all around us. Our, our, own, our own mortality is always with us. We deal with pain and disease and sickness and then we have loved ones around us who fall to these same conditions. We are somewhat sheltered and insulated from this in our culture. COVID has brought death and disease and all of these things that are associated with other parts of the world has brought us right, right into our face. It's the ugly side of hope. And then finally, the, perhaps the darkest part of this whole passage comes at the end, which we haven't even read yet. We have this blessing, this poetic blessing from Simeon, verses 29 to 32, but then he, he goes on and specifically it says he speaks to Mary in verse 34 and says these words. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And to this young mother he says these words. <clears throat> a sword will pierce your own soul too. It takes a dark turn here. Not a whole lot of explanation other than trying to discern the words themselves and, and what Simeon is saying. But you can't help but miss the change in the tone from these words, these poetic words of blessing and praise to a cryptic, prophetic, dark announcement 
about what is to come. I, try, I believe that the Holy Spirit put these words into Simeon's mouth. <laughs> they became a part of Mary and Joseph's experience. They become part of our scriptures that God has graced us with. Hear the darkness of these words. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. Do you know that from this moment, the life of Jesus is on a railway track that's heading to one place, and that is the cross. His whole life was a life of destiny, which culminated in a Roman crucifixion. In fact, during the years of his ministry, he would speak about his time. And to this same mother, he would say to her on one occasion, my time has not yet come. And what he was meaning was, it's not quite time yet for me to face my destiny, which is death on a Roman cross. He would march from this point towards that destiny that God had placed before him that he knew all too well. His death. The ugly side of hope. There's no escaping this. For, for us who celebrate the hope we have in Christ, we can't escape this part of it. The destiny of our Lord. His death, his destiny would cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. And even as he hung on that cross 30-some years later, there was a man on each side of him. Both, it says, in the Gospels began by reviling him. One of them had a change of heart and turned to Jesus and, and said, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. The other we read of no such conversion or repentance or faith and those two men illustrate exactly what Simeon is describing here the rising and falling that a man beside Jesus hung on a cross for his own crimes could be declared uh, and promised the very hope that we cling to that will be with Jesus in paradise and the other man who stays locked into his rebellious heart his hateful attitude towards Jesus, who simply reviles him and mocks him, would not only die on a cross, but would face the ultimate wrath of God. This Jesus, in his destiny of becoming our sacrifice, becomes a wedge that drives between all people who on the one hand might trust him for the salvation that he offers, or who might turn and mock him and spit in his face and say, I don't need, I don't need you, Jesus. He would be, it says, a sign that will be spoken against. The idea that Jesus would hang on a Roman cross, do you know how they did that? Strip the man naked, nail him to a cross on a public highway, Crucifixion literally would take often days to finally, mercifully bring death to the one who hung there. It was a shame. It was a curse. It was an embarrassment. It was, it was so many of these things. And so when Jesus found himself hung on this cross, what did they do? The Jewish religious leaders simply mocked him. If you're the Christ, come down from the cross. He was a sign that would be spoken against. And then 
Can you not help but think of Mary, who's described in John's gospel as standing before that, that cross 30-some years later, looking at this man who had once been this child and watching him die? Did she think of the words of Simeon? These words, a sword will pierce your own soul. This is the ugly side of hope. And folks, we, we got to see both sides. And I think that's what communion is meant to do. There is a beautiful side to communion, isn't there? I mean, communion is our invitation to the very table of God. Come and dine with me. Come, come and let me seat you at my table. Let me place before you a feast of my own making. Come and be my children. Make memories with me here in my place. It's a beautiful side to communion. But there's an ugly side where we hear Jesus say, do this in remembrance of me. This, this bread is, is my body broken for you made from wheat, crushed into powder, baked in heat, and then finally broken, divided among the takers. And this wine, this cup, this is my blood poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. It's ugly. And so week after week, we take the bread and we take the cup and we find ourselves Praise God, seated at his table, enjoying a feast of salvation that he's placed before us. And all the while, the symbols speak of one thing, death, the death of Jesus. And it was only through his ugly death that we can hear the voice of the Father saying, come, come and seat with me at my table. There is a lovely side to hope. It's a hope that God desires for every one of us in this room here to take hold of and say, yeah, this is mine. My only hope is not in my bank account. It's not in my religiousness. It's not in my righteous deeds. My only hope is in Jesus. And through that hope, I know one day I'll be with him. I won't hold him in my arms like Simeon held that baby. He will hold me in his. And maybe I'll hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. But the only way we can experience the lovely side of hope is by recognizing the ugly side and all that Jesus went through for us. So let's share this bread together. And let's celebrate the beauty and the ugliness of the salvation that we have found in Jesus. This is his body broken for you. We do this in remembrance. Enjoying the sweet provision of God for his people at his table, but remembering the cost of the provision was the blood of Christ poured out for us. Father, we thank you with great amazement that we get to be part of your family, that we get to sit at your table. Thank you, Lord, that in a broken, painful, sinful world, we have such a great hope that we are marching towards a new destiny when we will be forever in your presence.
But Lord, help us also to acknowledge the ugly side of our hope, the consolation that's so needed for sinners like us and for our broken world, a consolation that's provided only through Jesus and through his sacrifice for us. Lord, we give you thanks and we give you praise. Amen. We're going to pray that you'd help us to live in the light of these amazing truths that we'd be like Simeon, Lord, that our, our hope would be set not in the things of the world. We wouldn't try to insulate ourselves from pain and suffering uh, by worldly things, but we would simply long to see Jesus. And so help us to live in that hope. Uh, I pray that it might be contagious in our lives this week, Lord, that others around us could see uh, that they too have the opportunity to take hold of this same Jesus. We give you thanks for all you've done for us. Uh, We want to live for your glory in the days ahead. We pray in Jesus' name.